0: Good morning. Good morning. We can start making our way to our seats. Great to see everyone this morning. Good morning, Gateway family. Good morning. It's great to see everyone. I want to welcome everybody watching us from home. Glad you're able to join us. We worship the Lord this morning. Just a couple of announcements. Two reminders. Uh, We mentioned last week about the new life group that has started last uh, two weeks ago Uh, on Sunday evenings. Kyle and Kayla Watley are hosting this. Um, It's for all ages, all walks of life. Kids are welcome. It's a great opportunity to grow in community. They're very missions minded. They've already got a project set up to where they're going to go serve in our community. So I just want to remind you it's um, next Sunday evening. uh, The new life group at the Watley home. You can get on the website at gatewaybaptist.com and you'll be able to see the information under news and events, also our final reminder this weekend is the uh, Montgomery Community Bible Reading Marathon, and uh, very excited about that. Thursday there's a few slots still available uh, where you can read the Old Testament from anywhere you want—your home, in a park, just anywhere. I've I signed up for a few of those slots to read the uh, the Old Testament. So Thursday happens wherever you desire. Friday and Saturday will be at His Vessel downtown uh talk to dale hadaway who's the director of this and has been leading it uh friday is full but saturday there are still slots available time slots open and you would go downtown to his vessel right there in the train station and there are 15 minute slots where you would start we be able to read the new testament aloud um there at the uh, gateway of our city so we've done it a few years it's just a really powerful time to declare the word of god over our city and community. So that's still available for Thursday. Saturday, go to hisvessel.org, and you can sign up there. Well, let's stand, and uh, we're going to start our time together by declaring the word of the Lord over us as we prepare our hearts to worship through song. This is Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. And the glorious splendor of your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Let's worship the Lord this morning.
1: Let
2: us worship. Come, let us worship our King. Come, and let us, Come us bow at His feet. He has, has done great things. See,
1: See what the Savior, has, Savior done. has done.
2: See how He's done. the great
1: as we sang earlier, just that you have done great things. You are the hero of heaven, God. As we just celebrated in recent weeks, the salvation that is made available to us through the cross. Through your son, Jesus, dying, bearing all of your wrath that we rightfully deserve. Yet he bore it willingly and obediently to the cross to redeem wretched sinners such as us so that we can have a way back to you. That we can be made righteous, not in our own righteousness, God, but in your son's righteousness. Who came and lived a life that we couldn't. Who lived a perfect, sinless life and died willingly on a cross. Father, we thank you for that gift, God. We thank you for that blood that was shed as we celebrate you, Father. see your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be saved.
3: dedication this morning. So Dave and Jessica, you guys come up here with baby Samuel and stand up here with us as the praise team has backed down. You guys come on up here. This is Dave and Jessica Blair. This is baby Samuel right here. They are, if you don't know them, they're a military family that's just here for a year. And so one of the joys and yet challenges of being in a town with a military base is you get to become friends of people. And after nine months, they move on to the next place. So they don't have much longer here in Montgomery. You only have what, about a month left here before God sends you all to the next place. But they've been here for a year. They've been in the Steens Life Group. And before they moved away, they wanted to celebrate a baby dedication with you, their church family, for this year. So why are they standing before you this morning? Because they believe that God is a Lord over all things. We'll talk about that in the sermon. I'll spare that one right now. But they believe that God is sovereign and Lord over all. And as such, they understand that children are a gift from the Lord. And ultimately, our children don't belong to us. They belong to The Lord, and the Lord has just entrusted them to us for a season to raise them in his ways. We see this in Scripture, friends. We see this in Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a gift from God to us. They belong to him. We see this really clearly in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah brings her child to the temple to dedicate him, and this is her prayer. She says, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he has lent To the Lord, And that's the desire of Dave and Jessica in this, is that they're giving Samuel back to the Lord, recognizing he belongs to the Lord, and they want to just give him back to the Lord for his purposes. So first I have a charge to you guys as the parents on this one. First from God's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 7 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise. So in other words, your home is to be a place full of the gospel, where you're talking about Jesus all the time and pointing Samuel to him. Likewise, Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The proactive discipleship of parents to their kids, of teaching them God's way. So several questions for you as you think about God's plan for parenting. First of all, do you desire to seek God's grace to have a home where God's word permeates all that you do? I know you do. Do you desire to have a home to where Sam is treated as a gift from God? We do. And do you desire and long for the day that he comes to faith in Christ and you agree to teach him and point him to Christ and pray for that day to come? We do. I know you do on that. Now, Gateway family, I have a charge for you as well in this. Now, it's a little more challenging because they're moving soon. So my first question is normally, do you agree to come alongside them in very practical ways? So the question is for the next month while they're still here, do you agree to come alongside them in very practical ways to encourage them as they have a baby and start this transition, will you agree to come alongside them for these weeks that we still have them with us? I know you do. And for long term, do you agree to pray for Dave and Jessica as they raise you and pray for them in their transition coming up in about a month and to pray for Samuel that he'll trust Christ at an early age? Would you agree to pray for those things? I just want to remind you that you've agreed that for many, many other children who are back in the nursery right now and are sitting in the room here and just want to encourage you to keep that before you so i want to pray over you guys now and pray over you little buddy as well okay let's pray together father thank you for the blessings of family thank you for the blessings of church family and we thank you for dave and jessica and we thank you for samuel lord and your providence that you've brought them to montgomery even though it's a short season we're thankful in your grace that they've been here for this year and lord, we pray for them as they prepare for this transition to their next assignments so or that you'll give them much grace as they move especially with a little one with them Lord, we pray for Samuel. Thank you for the blessing of this child. Thank you for blessing Dave and Jessica with him. And Lord, we recognize him today as a gift from you entrusted to them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them much grace to raise him your ways, to give them much grace to where your word permeates their house and their conversation. Even now at a young age, they will be reading scripture over him and praying over him and having conversation of the gospel that will forever shape inform him. Lord, we just pray as a church family for them, Lord, that you would redeem baby Samuel, that you would be drawing him to yourself at an early age, that he would walk with you, and he would do great things for your glory and your kingdom purposes. And so I just thank you for this sweet family. Pray your blessings upon them and the blessings over Samuel, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And we have for you guys a baby Bible for him, and so we are thankful for you guys. Grateful God's had y'all here. God bless y'all, so thank you Seth Rodebeck, one of our elders, is gonna come lead us in a prayer time
4: now. For this day, we just thank you, Lord, that we get to come together as one body to praise you and to worship you, to acknowledge you as Lord, as sovereign over all things, to come to you, our Father, that you have made a way in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, part of that way is us just recognizing our sin, our need for you. And Lord, we as a body here today, I know each one of us individually, there are areas in our hearts and in our lives that that we have need of you. And we have sinned, Lord. And Lord, at the end of the day, we either serve ourselves or we serve you. And so Lord, I pray for us here at Gateway that you would bring us to a season of repentance. That you, by your grace, Holy Spirit, would in that gentle, beautiful way, bring us the gift of refreshment through repentance. Lord, that we would just bow our knee to you. And Lord, as we walk in community and as we study your word together, as we worship you together, that you would use your body to continue to draw us to yourself, Lord. What a gift this is. We just thank you for it. And Lord, we wanna come together as one one body here today and lift these requests up to you, the only one who can do anything about this. You are all powerful. You are all knowing. You have all wisdom. And Lord, we bring these requests to you and ask you to work and move as you see fit, Lord. Lord, I lift up the Gateway Senior Adults here. What a gift it is, what a treasure it is to have them here. Lord, they've lived a lot of life, they've gained a lot of wisdom, they've gained a lot of knowledge. And Lord, I pray that in this season of their lives, they would not feel like they are retired and they would feel like they are done but they, like Caleb in the Old Testament, would look at all that you've done, would see all that you've done in their lives, and they would be confident and full of faith that you are going to continue to use them. And Lord, I pray that you would open doors for them to minister here in this body and in our city, and that you would give them confidence that that they are exactly where you have them. And Lord, that we as as a body would go to them to seek their counsel and their wisdom in all things, Lord. I just pray that you would give us that great sense of oneness here in this body through, across the generations. Lord. Thank you for them. Pray you bless them today. We pray for Foch Smart, Lord, in his ministry to the guys at Safety Net. Lord, I pray that you would give Foch incredible wisdom and discernment by your Holy Spirit to understand the hearts of these men, the minds of these men that he works with, and that you would give him the spirit of truth to speak the words of encouragement to them, Lord to point them to you, that they would come to depend to depend wholly on you, Lord, and that you would use Foch to do that. What a great ministry that is there. We pray for Pastor Chris Montgomery at Fraser, Lord. We just thank you for that church here in this city and pray that you would bless it. I pray that you would continue to draw people there. I pray that they would continue to point people to you. You've given them great resources and great influence, and I pray that they would uh, wield that in a way that is uh, just wholly submitted to you, that you would bring much glory to yourself through that church, and that you would uh, bless uh, Pastor Montgomery there, Lord. Lord, we pray for our president, for our governmental leaders, both nationally and at the state level and at the local level, Lord. We pray that, that our leaders would, um, would repent that they would turn to you that they would cry out to you that they would seek you for wisdom that they would uh, come to know you very intimately Lord that they would um, that they would just seek to honor you and glorify you we pray that you give i just can 't imagine all the things on president biden 's plate with with the war going on across the uh, over in Europe Lord with so many different things and decisions to make Lord I pray that he would look to you in this time and that you would give him great favor and wisdom in that Lord. Lord, we pray for our global missions today. We pray for the uh, Christians in Bangladesh, Lord, as they reach out to a specific Muslim group, Lord. We just pray that you would give them boldness, that you would give them open doors. I just can't imagine just thinking about our brothers and sisters who are giving their lives to make you known to this Muslim people, Lord. What an amazing privilege they have, and we pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would give them all the resources they need, the knowledge they need, the discernment they need to make you known to that specific people group, Lord, and that you would bring forth a harvest, Lord, that as they labor faithfully in that field to plant seed and water, you, the Lord of the harvest, would bring forth people to know you and to put their faith in you, Lord. We just pray you bless them and watch over them in in these efforts, Lord. We pray for the offering today that as we worship you by giving of our resources, Lord, it's just a very practical way for us to put in your hands the money that, that you've allowed us to earn in the marketplace. And we thank you for that opportunity. And I pray that we would be cheerful givers. I pray that we would give out of the abundance that you've given us, Lord, and that we would just entrust that to your hands and that for those of us, the elders and Grady and CJ and just all the different ministry leaders, that we would use that money well here at Gateway to make you known Uh, in this church, in this city, in this world, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to to manage that well, to steward that well. And Lord, I finally uh, pray for Grady as he gets ready to share. I thank you for his diligence in studying and seeking you out in your word. Um, and in prayer this week, and I just pray that you would give him the ability to share what you have been speaking to his heart, Lord, that as he's been formed by your word this week, that he'd be able to communicate that to us and encourage us with that, that as he's seen you in your glory, that he would show us that today from your word, Lord. We just thank you for that. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Boys and girls, first to fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth, you're going with... Miss Jennifer and Mr. Tom today. Ms. Jennifer will miss the talk about participles today, so, you know, you can share that with the boys and girls this morning. Well, it's good to see you this morning, gateway family. If you'll find Matthew chapter 28 in your copy of God's Word, the very end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 28 this morning. So we continue our study to be more rooted and grounded in the Word of God. We came last week to a very important question that we're going to continue this week, and that is, what is the church Friends, this question is so important. We're going to spend several weeks on this, last week, this week, and next week, on this question of what is the church. Now, last week, we began with the foundation. If you remember back to last week, Ephesians chapter 1, we saw that the church is God's sovereign plan for uniting his people together with Jesus as their Lord. The church is not an American invention. It's not a modern invention. It's God's eternal plan for how he's going to bring his people together as a body with him as the head. Now that leads to our next question. If God is uniting us together as a people, what is he calling us to do together? What is our mission? What is our purpose as a church? What is he asking us to do? And just like last week, there's so much confusion and so many wrong answers in our culture today to what is the purpose of the church. But God's word tells us very clearly what the purpose of the church is and what our priority at Gateway is to be. We don't have to dream up and invent what our vision, what our mission, what our purpose is. God in his grace has given to us what it is. So i want going to look this morning at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And as we read it, be looking for what is the mission of the church. And beyond that, what is the mission of our lives? Because what we are given here by Jesus It's the calling for every one of us who names the name of Christ. It's the calling for us a Gateway, the calling for all Christians in the church around the world. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. But Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you in your grace for giving us your word. We say that often, but Lord, I pray that we would treasure the fact that you have not hidden yourself from us. Hope but God in your grace you've revealed yourself to us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you right here. You've given us your Your commission for us, your mission for us, that we don't have to go through our lives wondering what we're supposed to be doing or prioritizing. You've told us what our priority is to be. So Lord, in my heart in the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, I pray that today that your Holy Spirit would come and would open our eyes to the truth of Scripture, to illuminate the truth of it and to apply it to our hearts. Lord, you know where each one of us is at. You know where we need conviction, where we need encouragement, where we need that gentle, loving pride. And I pray that you would give that to each one of us to further conform us to who you desire us to be. They do that as well collectively. They be forming and shaping this church to be about the mission that you've called us to be about. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, to understand our question, what is the church? And really, our question for today, what is the purpose of the church? What is our purpose in the church? I want to give us a little context so we know what we are Looking at this morning at the end of Matthew's gospel. This is a post resurrection appearance of Jesus. And to understand the significance of this, we have to go back a few verses to what happened and what we celebrated a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday, that first resurrection day. Go back up to Matthew chapter 28, verses 6 and 7. It's just top of my page. Just go back a little bit and find verses 6 and 7. And look at what happens. The women have gone to the tomb in verse 6. The angels meet with them and say, This, he, Jesus, is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And notice this. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, as I have told you. So the women run to the tomb. They find the empty tomb. Jesus is not there. The angel tells him to go, to tell the disciples to go to Galilee. And that's where they will see Jesus. What we have in Matthew chapter 20, 18 to 20, is that happening. The disciples go to Galilee. Now, friends, we're not from that region, so I think we miss the significance of this command. This wasn't like Jesus saying, hey, run!" the angel saying, run down to the Starbucks down the street tomorrow and you'll find Jesus. Galilee was 100 miles away from where they were in Jerusalem at the time. The angel says, you've got to go 100 miles to go find Jesus. But Galilee was also not a place they really liked to go a whole lot because it was called the Galilee of the Gentiles. It was a place where there weren't a lot of believers, a lot of what they would call the pagans. And so there was a lot of people who did not believe. And so they were supposed to walk 100 miles to go to a place where they'd be in the vast minority to go see Jesus. Now, can you imagine walking 100 miles? I mean, I've done 20 miles in the woods with some of the gateway guys, and that's pretty challenging. I know there's a few of our Troy guys who've done a 100-mile hike down to the beach for fundraisers before. I cannot imagine. But they walked 100 miles to go to a hard place because that's what the angel had told them to do. They step out in faith. Go down to verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. They went hundred miles to a place they probably didn't want to go, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, just side note of interest here on this one. Matthew begins Jesus' gospel, with Jesus give, just a few chapters in with Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. That was on the mountain in Galilee, and he ends the gospel of Jesus back on that mountain now before the ascension. And there on this mountain, Jesus appears before his disciples verse 17 and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted now more literally the word doubt here means some hesitated now there is a lot of debate over why some hesitated and what that means was it some of the 11 who hesitated or was it some of the crowd that came along with them and that's not for today to dig into on that there's also some debate over what this hesitation was were they stunned and couldn't worship were they doubting in their hearts what was it Again, that's not for today for us to dig into. That's maybe for another day. The reality check for us for this today is to realize that no disciple of Christ on this earth ever perfectly believes. These are people who are staring at the resurrected Christ, and they're hesitating for some reason. It is such a sobering reminder to us that none of us have arrived, that none of us are perfect followers of Christ. Like Seth prayed earlier, we all have to live a life of repentance because we all struggle in different ways. This reminds us that following Christ is a process of growth. Friends, that's incredibly important for the command that follows here. Because if we are in Christ, friends, we are in process. That means as you look back over your life, hopefully you're much further along than you were a year ago in following Christ. And a year from now, as you look back to where you are today, hopefully you'll see you're further along a year from now than you are today. We are all in process. We are all, and everyone in the church around us is also in process. That means every single one of us needs help to mature as a follower of Christ. And so Jesus speaks to these growing but not fully mature disciples, just like us, and gives them a command, a commission. Now friends, this is really important. Because what we're about to see with this commission command, you do not have to hit perfect maturity, which we can't hit in this life. You don't have to hit perfect maturity to follow what Jesus is about to say. This is to every disciple of Christ, wherever you are in the journey. This is even to those who were hesitating, this command was still given to them as well. Now, before we jump into the command, Jesus first lays a foundation for giving us this command. And notice what he first starts So, Before he tells us our mission, what we are to do individually and collectively, he first reminds us that he has the authority to tell us to do this. Go to verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this should sound really familiar if you were here last week when we started on what is the church in Ephesians chapter 1 last week, we saw that Christ had authority. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, just a quick refresher from last week. I think we have that one on the screen for you. Ephesians 1, 22. Do you have that one? Nope, okay. Ephesians 1, 22. Let me jump over there to it for us. There we go. Ephesians 1, 22. And he, the Father, put all things under his Christ's feet and gave him Jesus' head over all things to the church. And so the Father paints all things under the feet of Christ and gives Jesus as head over all things to the church. We have this picture of authority that Jesus is a sovereign Lord over all. And now back to where we are today in verse 18, we see that same authority. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The Father has given to the Son all authority over heaven and earth. That's over everything. Now, friends, when we think about that, we affirm that, but I think at least in my own heart, maybe in yours, we miss the wonder of the fact that Jesus is sovereign over all, that he has authority over all. As I was studying this week, I came across a quote, and it just made me stop in my tracks and ponder this and just ponder the greatness of God in this, to think of the scope of Jesus' authority. Here's what this author said. He says, all authority. He, Jesus, has authority over Satan and all demons, over all angels, good and evil, authority over the natural universe, natural objects and laws and forces, stars, galaxies, planets, meteorites, Authority over all weather systems, winds, rains, lightning, thunder, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, typhoons, cyclones. Authority over all their effects, tidal waves, floods, fires. Authority over all molecular and atomic reality, atoms, electrons, protons, neutrons, undiscovered subatomic particles, quantum physics, genetic structures, DNA, chromosomes. Authority over all plants and animals, great and small, whales and redwoods, giant squid and giant oaks, all fish, all wild beasts, all invisible animals and plants, bacteria, viruses, parasites, germs. Authority over all the parts and functions of the human body. Every beat of the heart, every breath of the diaphragm, every electrical jump across a million synapses in our brains. Authority over all nations and governments, congresses and legislatures and presidents and kings and premiers and courts, authority over all armies and weapons and bombs and terrorists, authority over all industry and business and finance and currency, authority over all entertainment and amusement and leisure and media, over all education and research and science and discovery. Authority over all crime and violence, over all families and neighborhoods, and over the church, and over every soul, and over every moment of every life that has ever been or ever will be lived. There is nothing in heaven or on earth over which Jesus does not have authority. That is, he does not have the right and power to do whatever he pleases. I mean, over everything, friends. We say it all the time, but he's, he's over subatomic particles we can't see. He's over kings. He is sovereign over all things. And Jesus begins his final words to the disciples here. This final post-resurrection appearance, not with, here's my task, Where he begins with, I have all authority. That is the foundation for whatever we're supposed to do, that the one who is the head of the church, the one who is the Lord, the one who is sovereign, who has all authority, is, has the right to tell us what to do. So what is our God-given mission? Look at how this flows together in 18 and 19. Back in verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, our authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, he has authority because he has authority. What are we to do? We're to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is what Jesus tells us to do with our lives and what the focus of our church is to be. And it's this key word right here in verse 19, to make disciples. Now, a quick grammar lesson for us in the Greek here. And I was joking with Jennifer as she walked out because she loves grammar and all that. There's only one verb, only one imperative in this verse. The only command, the only verb here for us is this word to make disciples. It is our God-given assignment. Everything else that we typically focus on, we'll get to in a minute, go baptizing, teaching. Those are participles. The verb here is to make disciples. Disciples. Now, to answer the question of how do you make disciples, we have to first define what is a disciple, okay? This is important. If we're going to make disciples, what is a disciple? Now, a disciple is a person who learns under a teacher. It's a person who learns under a teacher, but not just learning information like students do today. A disciple is one who would sit at the teacher's feet. It was a place of submission saying, I'm here to learn from this teacher, but more than that, I'm to model my life after this teacher, and I'm going to orient my life to this teacher's teaching, and I'm going to live my life obeying what this teacher says. That's what a disciple was. So what is a disciple of Jesus? Here's the definition to help us guide a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who knows, hears, believes, and obeys Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who knows, who hears, who believes, and who obeys Jesus. Friends, that means a disciple of Jesus is more than someone who prayed a prayer because they don't want to go to hell. A disciple of Jesus is someone who knows the person of Christ. Not just knows about Christ, but knows the person of Christ. Has a real intimate relationship with Jesus. They know him. They hear him. They long for his word. They read his word and they hear him speaking to them through his word. It's someone who believes that he is who he says he is and who wants to obey. And when we sin, wants to live a life of repentance because we want to obey our master. A disciple of Jesus is someone who knows, hears, believes, and wants to obey Jesus. That's what a disciple is. That means our mission in life, individually and collectively, is to be making disciples, to be leading people to this path of knowing Christ, hearing Christ, believing in Christ, and obeying Christ. Now, how do we do that? This is where our quick grammar lesson comes in here. And for the boys and girls in here who've been in Miss Amy or Miss Jennifer's class, you already know what a participle is. But let me remind the rest of us where that seems like a long time ago. Participle is not a verb, Okay. A participle sounds like a verb, right? It sounds like it's action, but it's something that is used as a noun or an adjective. It's a verb that's now used as a noun or an adjective. So it sounds like a verb, but it's not a command here. It describes the command. So the only command here is make disciples. And there's three participles around it that show us the process of what making disciples looks like, going, baptizing, and teaching. So the command to us as Christians is be making disciples, and you do that by going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, let's look at that second one first, and you'll see why in just a minute. But I start with the baptizing here. Go back to verse number 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this command to be making disciples by baptizing tells us that we're to be making disciples from non-believers. This part of the command is that we as a church and we as individual Christians are to be making disciples from non-believers. Now, Rick taught about baptism a few weeks ago, but let me remind us what it is. He, said, he showed us it was the first step of obedience for Christians. It's a picture of Christ's burial and resurrection, and so really it's a public confession that God's grace changes us. So what this is telling us, our command is to make disciples by baptizing, is telling us to take the gospel of Jesus to non-believers, and to call them to repent and believe, and to call them to obey Christ, and to make their faith publicly known through baptism. Friends, in the New Testament, the only way someone has a profession of faith is baptism. In the New Testament, it didn't say, go post on Facebook that you're a Christian now. Or go walk down the aisle at the end of a church service. In the New Testament, there's only one way you profess your faith publicly, and that's in baptism. Baptism is our profession of faith. And so this is exactly what happens in the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. There's this connection. They trusted Christ, first act of obedience. They let everyone know through baptism. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so our mission, friends, when it says we're to be making disciples by baptizing, is we're to be taking the gospel to non-believers, helping them see their sinfulness, their need for a Savior, the hope of Christ, and calling them to be part of the church and to make it public. Christ sends us on this mission. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, we see this as well. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Do we have 2 Corinthians out there? Okay, let me read that one to you So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 17, listen along here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now just stop right there. We love this part of it, that we're a new creation, that Christ has reconciled us to himself. It says, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Friends, let that sink in there. That Christ is reconciling the world to himself, and he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, there's a strong word there, we're imploring you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So our mission, friends, here is to make disciples. And part of making disciples is us going to nonbelievers and showing them the glories of Christ, showing them the Word of God and calling them, imploring them to be reconciled to God. But friends, our call to do that doesn't stop if they trust Christ. It's not like, great, you're a Christian now, you're on your own, go get it. That's just the beginning of our call to make disciples. Remember, a disciple is someone who knows, hears, believes, and obeys Jesus as you know from your own journey, that is a lifelong process. I don't know Jesus like I should. I don't hear him like I should. I don't believe him like I should. I don't obey him like I should, and you don't either. We are in a process. We are in God's grace. He's changing us, but none of us have arrived yet. It's a lifetime process. That means our calling is to other Christians as well, to help them be disciples. Whether they're a new believer who just trusted Christ yesterday, or there's someone who's known Christ for 30 years, we all need help growing as disciples growing and knowing the person of christ growing and hearing his word growing and believing and having faith growing in obedience and holiness and so this great commission in matthew chapter 28 is not just a call to take the gospel to non-believers it's also a call to help each other grow as believers don't miss this part of this text here so much of at least what i've heard of matthew 28 and probably you as well has been a missions call go to the nations and we'll talk about that in a minute but this command is much richer than that, friends. This is a command for us to help other believers grow as disciples. Where do we see that? In this text here, we'll go to verse number 20 here. This is the other part, one of the other participles here. Again, the command, verse 19, is to make disciples. One way we do that is the participle of baptizing. Verse 20, here's the other participle. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The way we make disciples is by teaching what Christ has commanded. This is an incredible command, friends, that the authoritative sovereign Jesus knows that none of us have arrived. There's no one in this room who has perfect knowledge of Christ. There's no one in this room who has perfect obedience. There's no one in this room who perfectly hears Christ. He knows that none of us have arrived, and so he calls all of us to help each other grow in knowing Christ, to grow in discipleship by, as it says here, teaching one another. I want to be clear on this. The teaching is not just for the elders It's not just for the deacons. It's not just for the Sunday school teachers. This is a commission to every follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, this is Christ's commission for you in your life as well, that all of us will be teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I want you to see this from one of the texts, Colossians 3, verse 12 to 16. In Colossians 3, you have an amazing text about the body of Christ. And I want you to notice these first few verses how this is all of us. This is not just the elders, not just the deacons. This is everyone. Notice this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Okay, this is to every believer, right? Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Okay, not only the elders and deacons have to do this, right? This is for every Christian living out a life of forgiveness with other people. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So this is for everyone in the church, right? Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So the body of Christ is to be a place of love. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. There's that body imagery again. This is the church. This is what God's will is for every single one of us who claims the name of Christ. And be thankful. Now, verse 16. Notice this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So let me just pause there for a second. Everything up to this point has been your responsibility as a disciple of Christ, that you're to be growing and I'm to be growing in forgiveness and in love for other people, growing and knowing God. And we do this by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We have a responsibility as disciples to know the word and be growing in the knowledge of the word. But notice what comes next in our responsibility to one another. We love each other. We forgive each other. We have peace with one another. We're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And what's next? What's next? What's next? That's not just for the elders, this is for all believers in the church. We're to be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Every believer has a calling from God to be teaching and admonishing one another. If you are in Christ, Jesus is calling you to do more than show up for an hour on Sunday mornings and sing a few songs. He's calling you to be teaching and admonishing other believers around you as well. So go back to verse 20 of our text today. We're told to make disciples. We do that with the lost by baptizing. We do that with other believers by teaching one another, like we just saw in Colossians. But there's something even more stunning about this command that makes us kind of stop in our tracks. We're not just commanded to teach people what Jesus taught. There's another word here that makes it even harder. Teaching them to, what's the next word? Observe. That means to obey. Our calling to discipleship is not just to hand people facts about Jesus. Discipleship, and this is for every believer, is to teach people to Observe to obey all that Jesus has commanded to us. So, does that mean we have a commission from Jesus to help each other obey? And that is exactly what this text is saying—that we ourselves are going to be growing disciples. That we be disciples who are letting the Word of Christ dwell in us ritually, so that we can also help others grow in obedience to Christ as well. Now, the objection comes up at that point. But wait, I can't make other people obey Christ. And no, you can't. And I can't make people obey Christ either. So we're being told to help people obey, but we can't make other people obey. And that's exactly right. Only God can create a heart of obedience. And so the Spirit of God has to work in my heart and your heart to give you hearts and to give me hearts to want to obey Christ. But the Spirit of God works through the Word of God. And he calls us to speak the Word of God to one another. So no, you can't make me obey and I can't make you obey. But you can speak God's word to me where I need correction. I can speak God's word to you where you need correction. And as we walk life together, speaking the word of God to one another, the Holy Spirit uses it to help us grow in obedience. God desires to work through each one of us. Again, this is not just for the elders. This is not just for the small group leaders or the deacons. This is for every Christian in the church. It's to have the word of Christ dwelling in us, which we said we're teaching and admonishing one another to help each other practically know and obey Christ that means we have a responsibility from God, every single one of us, to be talking to each other about holiness. Friends, when was the last time someone approached you and said, hey, what's God teaching you as you're studying the Word lately? How have you been doing reading the Bible? How's your prayer life? Hey, where are the areas where Satan's trying to trip you up? Where are the areas you're being tempted? How can I pray for you in that? When's the last time we got into each other's business in love to help each other grow? This commission means we have a responsibility to help each other pursue holiness. We have a responsibility to ask each other questions in love to help One another, And we saw this a long time back in Ephesians, but Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, has this this beautiful command for us to be speaking the truth in love. This, again, is to all believers, not just to the church leaders, that we're to be speaking the truth in love. And, friends, when you and I do this, as you speak the truth to me and I speak the truth to you, as you speak the truth to the people in the row with you, and you speak the truth to one another in your small groups and in discipleship relationships, as you speak the truth in one another, we grow up. Friends, God's plan to grow the body, to grow the church, is for us to be speaking the truth. Notice we speak the truth in love. Some of us are really good at speaking the truth, period, right? And it comes across really offensive and really aggressive, right? Some of us are really good at thinking we're loving people, but we never open our mouths because we don't want to offend. Our command as Christians with one another is to speak the truth in love from a heart of humility, a heart of knowing, I haven't arrived yet. We all struggle with sin, so we're going to talk through this together and love each other and bring Scripture to bear in our conversations. us, that's to be the normal Christian life, and yet it seems like the exception more than the norm. So go back to our text this morning, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore, and here's the command, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we do for the lost. We call them to repent and believe in them. For new believers or old believers, we teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Now, friends, as we think about that command, there's three things about this command I want to make sure we don't miss while we're hearing this. Number one, I already mentioned this earlier, this command is for all believers. This is not just for the missionaries on the mission field. This is not the that the verse is normally used, you need to go to the mission field. Friends, this is for everyone who names the name of Christ. Friends, our elder team is reading a book right now called The Trellis and the Vine. It is wrecking us in a good way, it is really good, it's challenging us and, and convicting us on so many fronts. There's a quote from that book, and I want you to hear. He says, that, He's talking about this text right here. He says, The commission is not fundamentally about mission out there somewhere in a foreign country, it's a commission that makes disciple making the normal agenda. And priority of every church and every Christian disciple. You can think about this text. This commission is not fundamentally about mission out there somewhere else in another country. It's a commission that makes disciple making the normal agenda. Disciple making is a normal agenda, friends, and the priority of every church and every Christian disciple. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us. If you name the name of Christ, disciple making is your priority to be making disciples and helping people grow in Godliness. That is your mission and agenda. Friends, if you want to read what the elders are reading and see what we're digging in on this, we put the book in the resource center this week, The Trellis and the Vine. Feel free to grab a copy and read along with us. But this is the command for all believers. It's a normal Christian life for all of us to be teaching them to observe all I have commanded. Number two, I want you to see from this command. Obeying this command requires intentionality. Obeying this command requires intentionality. Friends, none of us going to accidentally disciple someone, right? We're not just going to accidentally be like, oh, wow, I've been meeting with that person for a few weeks, and somehow they're learning something. Friends, this, this takes intentionality. I mentioned in this, there's only the one command. You saw it, to make disciples. But there's three participles here. We've mentioned two of them, the baptizing and teaching. Let's go to the third one right now. And notice the beginning of verse 19, go. Now, it sounds like a command when it's translated this way. It's probably better translated going make disciples. Or as you are going, make disciples. Friends, that means there is to be intentional movement on our part. As one of the authors I read said, this is intentional movement not from the sanctuary to the gym, but intentional movement from our life to other people's lives. This means we don't wait for people to come to us. In terms of with the lost, that means we don't wait for non-believers to come to us. We take the initiative to build relationships with lost people. In our jobs, in our classrooms, with our neighbors, with people we meet along the way. We take the initiative to not be like, well, if they want to know about Jesus, they'll come find me. We take the initiative to go to them and to begin to find ways to point them to Christ. But it also means in the church, we do not wait for other believers to ask us for help. We take the step and initiate relationships with other believers in the church to help encourage them. That means we should be going to people being like, hey, I want to read the Bible with you. I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. Would you read it with me? Let's get together each so we can talk about it. That should become the norm in the church where we take initiative to read Scripture and talk about Scripture and pray with one another. This is a command to be intentional in pursuing relationships with people. As you are going, make disciples. So the command is for all believers. It requires intentionality. But number three, I want you to see on this command, we're to obey this command with the world in view. I haven't stressed the missions focus of this one much. I think you've probably all heard it taught that way many times, but I don't wanna minimize the missions aspect. Verse 19, Christ is clear. Go and make disciples of all the nations, that Jesus loves the nations, that Jesus loves all the people groups in the world. And you see it in Revelation chapter five, verse nine. In Revelation five, nine, this picture of all the nations around his throne. They sang a new song saying, "Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So go back to verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Because that means this calling, this command to us is not an either word. This is not a command just for the missionaries or just for the people in the local church. This is a command for every believer to orient our lives to make disciples wherever we are, but don't forget the nations as we do so. That's why we pray for an unreached people group every week. That's why we pray for missionaries every week. We are to keep even our discipleship missions in view and keep the nations on our heart. So as we think about this command to make disciples, the reality is that's not easy. This is hard work to pursue non-believers and point them to Christ, to pursue other believers and have hard conversations that we encourage each other in godliness. Remember, Jesus started with telling us he had the authority to give that to us. He reminds us of his power to give us his command. But he ends here, he bookends this command with a promise for us to help us. And it's the promise, friends, of his presence. Look at verse 20 again teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, this is the only other command or verb here, behold, to look. What we just talked about earlier, behold our God. He's saying, stop, look, pay attention to me. I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, friends, don't miss the wonder of this promise. This word always is probably not the best word, but there's not a better English word for it. The Greek word here is probably best summarized to the whole of every day. I am with you to the whole of every day. Now let that sink in. Jesus is saying, yes, I'm going to be with you in all eternity. And yes, I'm going to be with you at the end of time. And yes, I'll be with you for the trials you still have to walk through that you haven't gotten to yet. But I am with you to the whole of every day. That means I'm with you right now in this room. I'll be with you all afternoon. I'll be with you as you eat dinner tonight. I'll be with you as you lay down to sleep tonight. I'll be with you all night when you're unconscious asleep in your bed. I am with you to the whole of every day. And every day for all eternity, I'm with you to the whole of every day. He's giving us hope We go back to the beginning of this command. He says, I have the authority, so he gives us his power to go do this. And now he says, you have my presence to the whole of every day. I'll be with you as you do this. We have the power of Christ and the presence of Christ to help us do the hard work of making disciples, of helping other people know, hear, believe, and obey Jesus. So let's try to bring all that together now. What is the church? In particular, what is the mission of the church? Here's the main idea I want you to see this morning. The mission or the church is made up of growing disciples of Jesus, who intentionally help others become disciples and grow as disciples. What is a church? It's a group of growing disciples of Jesus. It's people who have fallen in love with Jesus, not just people who don't want to go to hell, but people who've fallen in love with the person of Christ and know him and want to know him more, who delight in him, who love his word and want to know his word more, who have a faith, even if it's a weak faith, but want a stronger faith, who have obedience, but yet sin a lot, so live a life of repentance and want greater I mean, it's, they're made up of growing disciples of Christ. No church has fully mature disciples of Christ. All of us are still growing. The church is made up of growing disciples of Christ, but growing disciples who intentionally help other people become disciples, who are willing to step out and help non-believers come to know who Christ is and love him and delight in him and be baptized and be part of the church as well, but who also intentionally help other believers grow as disciples who get into people's lives and love and encourage them on the path of godliness to know Christ, to hear His word, to believe in Him, and to obey Him, friends. The reality is we all need this. Every single one of us needs someone discipling us. I need people discipling me, and you need people discipling you. But don't miss the other part of this. Every single one of us needs to be discipling other people. You don't have to wait to hit a certain level of maturity to disciple other people. If you know Christ, you can come alongside other people. As the word of Christ dwells in you richly, you teach and admonish one another. So every one of us should have someone we can look to who is helping us grow. And we should also be looking to help other people grow as well. You may have heard describes, we all need a Paul in our life who's teaching us and correcting us in love. We all need Timothy's in our life who we are doing that for as well. It's a two-way street. We all need one another. The church is made up of growing disciples of Jesus who intentionally help others become disciples and grow as disciples. Now, by that, I want to give you four questions to reflect on this morning. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads. Our praise team is going to go on and come up here. But I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to, just in the spirit of prayer and reflection, I want you to think about these four questions and the answers to them. In light of what we've just seen, that the church is to be growing disciples who help others, but it starts with being growing disciples. So first question, friends, can you say with confidence, you're a growing disciple of Christ? Do you know that you're a growing disciple of Jesus, that he is Put in your heart a love for himself that you know him, however imperfectly, but you know him and you love him. Friends, are you a growing disciple of Christ? If not, would you take just a minute and pray where you are and ask Jesus to make you a disciple. But friends, if you are, would you take just a minute in reflection and and pray and ask, thank him for saving, but ask him to grow your heart to know him more. Take a minute and pray that where you're sitting. As you think about, are you a growing disciple of Jesus? second question for you you reflect is the question, who is discipling you? Friends, God did not make any of us to be isolated. He made us for community, to be part of the church, and we need people who know us well enough to speak the truth of God to us in love. So friends, if someone's discipling, would you take a minute and thank God for them? That is a rare gift, it seems like, today in the church. But friends, if not, would you ask God to give you someone who will speak his truth in love to you, but also to give you the courage to go approach that person and ask them if they'd be willing to do that. Take a minute and pray about if someone is discipling you. Third question for you this morning, friends. We saw that... We're we're growing disciples of Christ and we're to intentionally help others become disciples. Who are the non-believers God is calling you to go after? Both locally and people you know, but even what are the nations that he's putting on your heart to be praying about and longing for, wanting to see his gospel go forth there? Who are the non-believers God is burning your heart with to become disciples? Take a moment and pray for the unreached people groups or the people you know by name. As you're praying, would you ask God to increase your burden For the lost here, and for the nations as well. And last question, friends if we're to be growing disciples who help other disciples grow as well, who is it God is calling you to pursue to help them grow? Friends, if there's someone you're already investing in and you're reading the word with them and talking about scripture with them and, and regular friendship with them. Take a minute and pray for them now. And if not, would you ask God to show you this week who it is that you're to pursue for instance it doesn't mean you have to go through a book and fill in the blanks together it doesn't mean you have to join a small group together it means you have to live life with them and be willing to get together and talk about scripture and pray for one another who is it god is calling you to help grow as a disciple Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, thank you for these precious truths you've given to us. Lord, thank you that we can pause and pray about doing this. Lord, this is your clear will for our lives. Thank you that we're not left wondering what, we're to do or how we're to orient our lives. as we think about this, Lord, we recognize how frail and weak we are. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us, Lord, giving us a heart to make disciples, giving us a heart for the lost to be your ambassadors, to to help point them to you. But Lord, give us a heart for one another, to really treasure being in the body of Christ with one another, and to want to help each other grow. Lord, would you grow us as a church, as individuals, and as small groups in this church, Lord, in teaching and admonishing one another, of speaking the truth in love. Lord, we're not where we need to be in that. So we ask that you would grow us and that grow me in this, grow these precious brothers and sisters in this, that we would become a church where it's the norm, not the exception, to be living a life where our focus, our priority with one another is to make disciples of one another. And Lord, we know as we do this, where it will bring you great, great glory as your church is built up in love. And Lord, we will find great joy as we walk this journey with one another. So we thank you for your grace. And for your kindness and for your love for us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song and celebrate the fact that Christ is our rock and our redeemer. us let all of our days bring glory to your name, and help us help one another live with that in view for our joy and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great day.